Well, we sing songs about what a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. No, that's an older one, but we love to celebrate the might of God. Our modern definition of might is great or impressive power or strength. I love that about God. Anybody else love that about God? He is mighty. And because he's mighty, that means he can be mighty for me. That means that I can say, let's pray for Tessa right now. And he can be mighty for her because he's, he's mighty. He can fix my problems. He can heal my sickness. He can save my soul. The fact that he's mighty puts the responsibility on him. But then I got to thinking this past week about a different characteristic, one that maybe we don't get ex as excited about. Instead of just the might of God, what about the holiness of God? When I did a basic search in my Bible program, I typed in mighty. And in the King James Version, mighty, there were 286 results. Then I typed in holy, and in my King James Version search engine, I got 654 results. You see, although the Bible's jam-packed with incredible people doing mighty things, he says, you're going to give you power and greater things will you do. And, and, and there's definitely a connotation throughout Scripture of God wanting to do mighty things in our lives. But I never, maybe you can correct me if, if I missed one, but you can come see me after and let me know. But I can't think of one Scripture where God commands us, go and be mighty. I just can't think of one. The connotation's there. He wants to do powerful things in our life. But I don't ever see the command, go and be mighty. But he does give us a command to go and be holy. 1 Peter 1.15 says, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. That doesn't sound like a suggestion. That's a, that is a straight-up command from God. So today I want to talk about this title. I want to be holy because he is. So why is it that so many love the mightiness of God, but we don't get as excited about the holiness of God? I think it's because of my just previous comments. The might of God is something that we celebrate because of who he is, what he can do for us. But when we come to these verses, be holy for I am holy, that Peter wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, we now have a command for ourselves to do something, for ourselves to be holy. It's no longer just about him and his power and his might. We have a command from God to be like him in our very nature. And when we're born into this world as human beings, because of the sins of Adam and Eve, this is where we might vary a little bit from other denominations. I do not believe that we were born with sin. We were born into sin. This is why some religions would say that, hey, I think it's important that you baptize an infant because they were born with sin. 
That baby that is born, give it a minute, it's going to sin. But it was not born with sin. It was born into sin. And we're all going to be sinners, the Bible says. But we see that scripturally, that when someone was baptized, there was a teaching, believing, understanding, obeying, repenting, committing, anytime someone was baptized. So that's why infants are not capable of doing That's why we don't baptize babies here. Just, just scripturally, that's why we do that. But because of the sins that Adam and Eve were born into a nature that's filled with sin. Well, guess what that means? At some point, we're going to feel a conviction, hear a message, something that causes us to want to turn away from that sin, to repent of our sins, to turn away, and to commit our lives to a new way of living. Because at some point, we have to turn away from the nature of sin and turn toward the holiness of God. In other words, God's grace reaches out to us, but some of the changes we're called to make, it requires a response from us and us alone. So this, well, the holiness is just the holiness of God. It has nothing to do with me. If I want a miracle, that's the might of God. It has nothing to do with me. No, this holiness does have something to do with the everyday decisions that we make. And this is why many people, they don't want to hear a message of holiness. Instead, I'd rather cop out and say, oh, that's Old Testament law. I'm now under grace. I don't need anything because Jesus already did it. But then we read a verse like Peter's in the New Testament, I might add. And Peter looks at spirit-filled believers no longer living under the bondage of Old Testament law. And he says, hey, everyone, God is calling us to be holy because he is holy. But what in the world is holiness? What does it mean to be holy? If I pass this mic around today and said, all right, we're going to pass around. We're just going to have an open forum. We're all going to discuss what our ideas of holiness are. I think we would be shocked out of our mind what some of us would say. Because holiness would mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I think we might actually understand mightiness better than holiness. But have you ever thought about this? We serve a holy God. Our lives are governed by the... Something you're like, ah... By the Holy Bible. We want to spend eternity in a holy heaven. And we're filled with the? We got that one. (laughs) I'm in a Pentecostal church. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy God, holy Bible, holy heaven, holy spirit. But somehow we feel like it's taboo to talk about holiness in our local church because a lot of people don't like it. What? Folks, holiness is more important today than ever before in the history of humankind. The fabric of our culture is unraveling in many ways before our eyes. Immorality proudly flaunts the dominance of the, in the classroom, courtroom, schoolroom, news media, and entertainment industry. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah's words are being fulfilled right before our eyes when he says in Isaiah 5.20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. This, this is happening right now. 
that put darkness for light and light for darkness, put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. It's happening right now. A church's job is not to make Christianity more palatable for sinners. To accommodate culture to the best of our ability. Will we welcome everybody? Will we bend over backwards to make you feel comfortable, to make you feel welcome and love? Absolutely, we want you here. But seriously, if you leave every single service, if you leave every single service feeling totally comfortable, I'm not doing my job. And God's not doing his. Because the word of God, scripture says, is there. It's going to convict, rebuke, teach, train, encourage. And so we don't want to be at the point where, you know, I didn't really like that today. I'm going to look somewhere else where I feel better about myself. Because no matter what church in anywhere that you go anywhere, at some point, the word of God should prick our hearts. Now, I'm not saying every single time we get together. That'd be pretty depressing, too. Man, you know, I've heard 73 straight sermons of pricking my heart. I'd love a word of encouragement. But Brother Ruiz gave us a word of encouragement. I'm doing the heart pricking today. God's going to step in and call for change at times. The Holy Spirit's going to work in our lives. But a holy life is not a dress code or list of rules. A holy life is not legalism or bondage. In fact, a holy life is something that's abundantly attractive to some people. You know who those some people are? It's the person who is sick and tired of sin. It's the person who is sincerely open to God and hungry for more of God. That's who holiness is attractive to. So my goal in this very hour, even though I love seeing the pews filled and we talk about building a new building and we see the numbers growing, that is so exciting. But my goal in this hour is not winning debates with people on this. It's not just to get more warm-blooded bodies on pews to fill up a church. My goal is to love people, teach people, disciple people who are truly hungry for more of God. And I know this is the hardest, this is difficult in pastoring this church. I know that there will be some people who move on from this place because they don't want to hear about holiness. They would rather hear about the mighty works of God. But when it gets to holiness, there's a call for us to respond, to do something. And so I fully understand that there are times that, that preaching a message on holiness, doing a serious on holiness, it's going to, to hurt the numbers in attendance just a little bit. And I, and I don't like that. I wish that wasn't the case. But I have got to preach what the Word of God makes clear. I'm not here to bash. 
I'm not here to criticize. I'm here to love, to train, to assist, to walk alongside of you. But I also know that I can only love those who will accept my love. You ever heard one of those stories? I had a friend once that, you know, they try that whole, you walk up, you're single, walk up to another single person, and God spoke to me, and you're the one I'm supposed to marry. <laughs> it's possible, but God's going to tell both people. Sometimes we confuse the voice of the Lord for what we really want to hear. And that goes in every facet of life. I can only train those who will be both a hearer and a doer. So don't just engage a practice of holiness without the principle of holiness. That's been a major issue for some. And that's why some, when you speak holiness, you're watching online, you're here today, you might already have an icky taste in your mouth. Yes, I have three young kids. I just said icky. Wait till I start talking about our bed night snacks. I don't know. But you might have a kind of a bitter taste in your mouth because somebody at some point talked about holiness and they, they preached it a certain way that you were like, Ugh. Ugh. They wanted to talk about the practice of holiness, but not the principle of holiness, the what of holiness, but not the why of holiness. This is why in this church, I wrote an entire 16-lesson course called Now What? A series on growing with God that's broken into four categories. The basics, lifestyle issues, a church and family, what people see. Let's look at scripture, society, sociology, psychology. Let's look at all of it in the realm of scripture and see why, even if you say, I'm not going to live in that manner, at least you can say, I, I, let's look scripturally at why some people do what they do. Because it needs to be based on the word of God. And so we don't just practice holiness. And the good news is, if you're going, oh, man, that sounds like a great series. That's going on downstairs on Wednesday nights right now. You can go downstairs at 7 o'clock. But for those of you who have walked this way, for a few decades, I think you would agree with me on these following statements. Our elders, don't tune out. This is going to come around here in a circle. Our elders taught us the what without always teaching us the why. They lived in a generation that they could do that and it would work. But that tendency created a vacuum that was taken advantage of by other leaders with agendas. But I would respectfully say to the elders of our generation, with, with as much respect as possible, on behalf of the younger generation, why doesn't always indicate rebellion? Why is just a question with a desire to have a deeper understanding? Then I would look at those of us, me, I'm throwing myself in there. I'm probably somewhere between the two now. But I, those of us in a younger generation, on behalf of the elders, I would say this. Just because the elders didn't always explain the why doesn't mean they were wrong about the what. 
just because the elders did not always explain the why doesn't mean they were always wrong about the what. In this generation, we have to explain principles and not just demand practices. The days of positional authority are probably somewhat gone. In, in the day growing up, my dad could say, that's a police officer. That's the pastor. And you'd go, now that's the police officer. That's the pastor. So I'm not saying it's right, but it's the day and age in which we're living. And so I can't just say, listen to me, because I'm the pastor of this church. That means nothing to many people. So we have to look scripturally why, answer the why question. And have you ever wondered why holiness often gets lumped with separation from the world? Why do those things tend to go hand in hand? Look at our opening text. Peter says, you must be holy in everything you do. Everything. Thing we do. So I'm not just holy when I'm here. I'm not just holy when I'm at a church function. I am holy in everything I do. That means our entire lifestyle. There is no part of our lives that should be off limits to God. And I say this all the time. If you're praying, if, you're, if you hear a preacher and, he's, and she is in the word of God and you feel your heart just kind of tense up and your back just kind of, and your muscles just clench, your jaw go together, and you feel yourself just closing off right away to whatever topic that that is, you might want to, instead of just get angry, you might want to tune into that topic and say, God, are you in this? Are you trying to deal with me on this? Because if it's in Scripture, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. He's either Lord of all our lives or he's not Lord at all. Notice Peter says, as it is written in that passage, he goes, as it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. That's because he's referencing back to something else. They had the Old Testament. They had the Scripture, the Torah. He would say, as it is written, it was a reference backwards. This means he's referring to something in the Old Testament, but biblical scholars don't really agree on what particular Old Testament passage he's referring to. You know, you could see these uh, passages where Jesus said something. Oh, yeah, that's referring to Isaiah. Jesus said something here. That's referring to Psalm. This one here, they don't really know exactly which one because the command to be holy was in so many places of the Old Testament. Leviticus 19.2 says, give the following instructions to the entire community of Israel. You must be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Leviticus 20 and 7. So set yourselves apart to be holy. I am the Lord, your God. Leviticus 20, 26, you must be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from all other people to be my very own. Well, that's Old Testament stuff, man. That's law stuff. We don't be paying attention to that. But that can, can work sometimes. But just because it's an Old Testament law doesn't mean it's all thrown away. This is why Peter gets up in a New Testament church and says, hey, like it's written back then, it still pertains to us today. We have got to be holy because we serve a holy God. 
Or how about this one? This is a place where Israel is called to distinguish itself from the evil practices of Egypt and Canaan. Leviticus 18.2, it says, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. I am the Lord your God. So do not act like the people in Egypt. Egypt, if you study in the Old Testament, was a type of the world. It was a type of sin. He is basically saying, you have your world of sin, people that live there, and I don't want you to be like them. Don't be like Egypt, where you used to live, or like the people of Canaan, where I'm taking you. Meaning, it does not matter where you've been. It does not matter where you are going. You may live around this type of people then. You're going to live around this type of people later. But no matter what, it does not matter where you live and what the customs of those people are. I want you to be living according to my customs and my principles, which the longer you serve God, the more you realize those customs and principles are countercultural. They're different than the culture that surrounds us. And so he says, don't act like them. I'm where I'm taking you. You must not imitate their way of life. You must obey all my regulations and be careful to obey my decrees, for I am the Lord your God. Israel's being called over and over and over and over again. I could go through more, but I'm just showing you before we move on. And Peter reiterates this in the New Testament. So to be holy according to the Bible is to separate oneself from what is evil or what are the customs or regulations of that day. A life of holiness embraces all of God's ways, and it's an understanding that no sphere of life is outside of God's dominion. I don't have my work life, my professional life, my scholastic life, my family life, my church life. I don't have that. It's not segmented. It's not broken up to compartments. My whole life and every facet of it reflects the image of Jesus Christ. It's a willingness to live differently from the rest of the world around you. In order to do that, though, there's humility that's required that says, I might stand out. I might be different. I might not always be accepted by everyone else around me. And God says, it doesn't matter where you have been or where you're going. I'm calling you to live according to my custom. Hence the fact we will often interchangeably say holiness with separation from the world. I wanted to explain that because you need to see that scripturally, biblically. That if he says, I want you to be come out from among them, be separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing. There was a call both in the Old and the New Testament to live differently than the culture that surrounded them. Yeah. Amen. This summons to holiness is grounded and rooted in Scripture. So for somebody that wants to say, oh, here we go, another UPC. It's not a UPC. Well, it is a UPC thing, but that's not where it originated. Okay? It did not originate. It originated way back in the book of Genesis. Okay? This is not something that, oh, that's just your organization. That's just something your church preaches. That's just something that you want. That's not even something that just Peter wanted. God's people were always called to live holy and pleasing lives unto him. Why? Because God's people were to model their lives after God himself. And when you study ancient culture and ancient civilization, God, the God of the Israelites, was nothing like the God of other cultures. He was different. He was separate. He was distinct. 
Therefore, he calls his people to be separate, distinct, separated from other cultures. And he reestablishes this fact in the New Testament with both Peter and others. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, it says, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. Whole life. And your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless unto the Lord. Holiness affects our spirit, soul, and body. May the God of peace make you holy in every way, which influence body, soul, spirit. Holiness should be everything, that, everything from the inside to the outside. Every part of our lives should reflect God's image. God will make this happen for you, for he call, who calls you is faithful. And so, Again, because God wanted his people separate or distinctive, Peter writes in another place in 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises how do I show for, well, God doesn't care about anything I'm outside. He looks at my heart. But then we have a scripture where God calls his people to show forth his praise. How can I show forth his praise to someone that can't see inside my heart? Who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have to obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. I found this interesting because I can tell you, I never really made the connection here. I could quote 1 Peter 2, 9 to you. I think that's, a, that's an integral foundational scripture in, in my life, in our lives. But I didn't really realize, make the connection that two verses later, Peter says, you're a pilgrim, you're a stranger, abstain from fleshly lusts. Peter, in the same breath as talking about holiness and separation, he immediately makes it known that there are going to be wars against our soul. This is because any time you try to be distinct in a culture that demands assimilation, you pay a price. And let's face it, you can disagree with me on this, and we can talk about it later, but don't let culture fool you. The voices crying loudest for acceptance and tolerance are actually the least tolerant of them all. And Peter knew that it would be difficult at times to stand out and be separate for Jesus. He said, you're a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. You're a chosen generation. And he says these things. And two verses later, he says, be careful about the things that wage war in the, against the soul. Wars of the flesh. Why? Because I just got done telling you that you're a, a chosen people. You're meant to be different. You're meant to be peculiar. And with that, there's going to be battles. With that, it's not always going to be easy to stand. 
You see, holiness is one of the most ancient concepts in the Bible. Both the Hebrew word in the Old Testament and the Greek word in the New Testament carry the meaning withdrawal, separate, apart, different across the board. God's calling for that from us, but Peter knew that's not always easy. It's not always simple. But be careful about what wages war against us. So the Bible, in both Testaments, this is another interesting fact, in both Testaments, sanctification is a synonym for holiness. The Bible teaches that sanctification or being set apart is the will of God for every Christian. We are all called into sanctification. Sanctification, really, you know what sanctification is? It's a series of personal decisions that I make on a daily basis. Every day I get up, I make a series of decisions about the sanctification process in my life. But walking with God takes time, and that's why we all have to have patience, not only with ourselves, but with others. Real Christianity is not just attending a church. It's the dedication of a life. And sanctification takes a lifetime. And if holiness is truly synonymous with sanctification, then holiness is the entire point of the Christian life. So people that say, God loves you just the way you are. This is true, but incomplete. God loves you the way you are, but loves you way too much to let you stay that way. Sanctification is a lifelong renovation project. The Lord looks to conform us to his likeness, resemblance, representation of who he is. Like my wife said, speaking on Mother's Day, which if you didn't tell her, tell her to speak more. The battle for holiness is won or lost in our minds. Romans 12.1, I beseech you, Paul writes. Peter wrote the other one. Paul writes this one. says, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He's calling for our bodies to be the sacrifice, and he says, and it's a reasonable thing to ask. And be not conformed to this world. I could go on and on and on and on and on for weeks on God's calling throughout Old and New Testaments for his people to be different, separate, distinct, withdrawn from the world. That doesn't mean that I go live in a, in a mountain and don't talk to anybody. He's just saying from the world systems that the thought process is different. The thinking, the approach is different. He says that you may prove. How do I prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? When I put my body as the living sacrifice, every facet, body, soul, and spirit. He calls for us to be holy, not conformed, to prove, present our bodies. It's a reasonable thing for God to ask. And because of this call for our entire bodies to prove this holiness, because of God's age-old call for his people to be distinct in all manners and customs, you will find that when God calls for holiness in all facets of life, body, soul, spirit, this does include both internal and external. 
We should be wholly separate and distinct in both when it, what comes from the inside and the outside. The outside is what people see when they interact with a child of God. People may say, well, what's, what's more important? Do you think it's the inside or the outside? Here's a good response. Internal organs. Everybody, is your heart still beating? I'm speaking. Mine's a little going faster, I think. Somebody tap your neighbor if your heart's not beating anymore, okay? Internal organs like our heart and lungs are absolutely more important than our eyes and ears. However, in a normal, healthy body, we definitely want all of those, don't we? When I place some form of emphasis, teaching, training on external, that is in no way meant to put internal on the back burner or disregard that. Because, let's face it, our external presentation is simply a reflection of what is internal. Our external presentation is always, is always simply a reflection of what is internal. That's why when someone will leave what they've been taught or raised or, or trained or shown in Scripture and they walk away from God, one of the first things they will change is the way they look. To think we can be holy on the inside while remaining unaffected on the outside is an equally factual error. Like I said, though, I'm thankful that sanctification and growing in holiness and separation from this world is a lifelong process. People move forward at different speeds. And so this is not a church that says, we believe this, you got to conform to that. That's kind of a cult. That is not what we live and believe. We say scripturally, here's what the Bible says, here's why you're going to see some of the people make the choices that they make, and here's the scriptures why we preach this. But you're on your own journey. That is something between you and Jesus Christ and your walk with him. Now, there will be certain ministries in this church when you're in leadership and doing things that will say, well, hey, if this is something you don't buy into, then we really can't put you in this position of leadership because it really contradicts what we stand for and believe and teach and preach. Like I said, though, I'm thankful. One of the best ways we can love and help people is by being a reflection of Jesus Christ ourselves. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, hey, you should imitate me as I imitate Christ. Takes a pretty, you got to be a little confident in your walk with God to look at somebody and say, follow me like I follow Christ. <laughs> kind of sound like a horse. Man, I'm cut out for children's ministry and Sister Tiffany hasn't even approached me yet. I make good horse sounds. <laughs> Imitate me as I imitate Christ. If you walked this way a long time, and I'm about done, ask yourself, how would our church look? And how would we be in doctrine, experience, worship, giving, giving in ministry, giving in finance, faithfulness, Full church prayer, 
excitement, service, and lifestyle. Ask yourself this. If everybody did these things just like me, what would our church look like? Ask yourself. Think. And I'm done if whoever wants to come. If you say, what would Refuge Church look like if everyone worshiped just like me? If everyone gave financially just like I did? If everyone taught Bible studies just like I did? If everyone served in ministry like I did? If everyone attended the events and the prayer meetings just like I did? If their lifestyle and their holiness both inside and out look just like mine, how would our church look? Because that's what making disciples is. It's pulling someone alongside of you and saying, follow me like I follow Christ. And so, we need, discipleship is not done with a pastor in a pulpit. The people that, whose lives you come alongside of, they are going to reflect you, not me. And that's the way God designed his church to be. It was not meant to be a hierarchy. We have the priests up here and the laity down here. That's not the way God designed his church to be. He gave an element of spiritual authority and things to, to the five-fold ministry of the church, which I think we're going to cover here in the next, next month or two or on Wednesday nights. The five-fold ministry. And he gave authority there. But he looked at everybody, he said, go make disciples. He did not say, Pastor Peter, you make disciples and everybody align with him. They're not going to reflect my image preaching from the pulpit. They're going to reflect your image. So what does your holiness look like? Internal, external, every facet, body, soul, spirit, it's it's our entire being. So what will it be for you today? Would you stand to your feet? I love the mighty acts of God. But I also love the fact that I serve a holy God. I love the mighty acts. But I also love that I serve a holy God. He is different from every God in civilization. He is distinct. He is separate. And I'm thankful for that. Because there's all kinds of gods in all kinds of civilizations and cultures. But we serve the God who pursued us, who took on flesh, died on a cross, paid a price, wanted to fill us with his spirit. That's the God that he's different than everybody else. And he's distinct and he's separate. Therefore, when he said, I've invited you in to be a royal priesthood, to enter a covenant relationship for you to be the bride of Christ, there were expectations that came with that. If you're going to walk in this family, he says, I love you. But I want you to be different. I'm different. I want you to be distinct because I'm distinct. I want you to be separate because I'm separate. And this only happens when we're willing to humble ourselves. 
even coming to an altar here in just one minute, you have to humble yourself. Because I have to like step out of a pew, approach the front. Many people will even bow a knee. There's a lot of humility in this. You say, Jesus, I need you. I love you. Or you can sit there and try and reason all this away, why this doesn't pertain to you. And that's, that's your choice. But it takes humility to say, God, I want to be holy. I want to be holy. God, be the Lord over all my life. I don't want to hold anything back. Look around this world and know this is not our home. And it consumes all of us, okay? Let's not just be judgmental. We're up here, everybody else is down here. This world and the things of this world, it is all consuming. It consumes all of us at times, and that's why we need to pray and fast and keep ourselves in the Word. Because why? We get consumed and distracted with all of the things that are not eternal. And so when you go to school and somebody says, you pray like that, you dress like that, what in the world? It gonna, it's going to hurt at times. It's going to cut you a little bit. And you're going to be like, oh, I just felt so embarrassed. I felt so ashamed. I felt so stupid. I just did. You just remember that the Lord says, you're distinct. You're separate. You're different. And my blessings upon you. Why? Because I don't need to fit in here if I have my eyes on where I'm going. I don't have to fit in here if I know I'm not staying here long term. And so, yes, you're going to have those emotions and feel those things, but no, hey, I do this because I serve a holy God and I want to be holy from the inside to the outside, body, soul, spirit, every facet of my life. I'm not perfect, but I'm being sanctified. I'm in this lifelong process and I want to be closer to Him. I want to reflect His image and I want to be holy because He is holy. If that's your prayer, I invite you to just find a place to pray around the front here today and just begin to respond and just begin to talk to Him. Maybe there's a specific issue that He's speaking to you about or dealing with you on. God is wanting you to be holy because He is holy today. We bow our hearts We bend our Give us clean. 